0: Hey friends, welcome back to the Making It in the Messy Middle podcast. So excited that you're here today and I cannot wait to see how we will grow together. Hey my friends, so I'm super excited to have you back here on the podcast with me. Um, It's been, I guess, a week and a half or so since the last podcast, but I did make three in one week, Um, so I guess I'm uh, the opposite of making up for lost time, which is like, giving you a break, I guess. Um, I was very, very manic um, when I made those three podcasts, so they are quite disorganized, um, and I apologize for that. Um, I'm very grateful to those of you who stuck it through and listened to them, though. Oh, my goodness, because that that means a lot to me. I say that every week. I say that I say that every week. Um, But I want to continue to thank you, for sticking with me sticking by my side um virtually and you know you know by listening to the podcast but also through reaching out also through existing you know we're all in this together um and that's a a cliche, but it's what do we always say cliche because it's true so I really do appreciate you sticking it out sticking with me, going through these ups and downs with me in a way um and continuing to listen and for coming to listen to this podcast. This is going to be my favorite podcast. Um, you have no idea how excited I am about recording this podcast, how thrilled I am that I've gotten the chance, how like highly anticipated by me this podcast is. Oh my goodness, I have um done some witch research for this podcast because I think that it is very important that what I'm about to say not come just from me, but also from verified sources. Um, And so I'm very, very excited about this podcast. I literally cannot explain to you um, how much work I've done on this podcast, which I know I'm like setting it up for failure. at this point, because it's like me telling you it's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. You're going to love it. It's the best podcast ever. And then it's going to be like, you know, so I'm saying it's 10 and it's going to be like a three or something. (laughs) But um, I hope that you'll stick with me because I do feel like this is an important podcast. I feel like this is an important topic to discuss, to talk about. And really, I say this on all of my podcasts, but I really want to reiterate it for this one. If you have any questions, if you have any comments, if you have any concerns, any recipes, quotes, whatever, funny jokes, um, no, seriously, any questions or concerns about anything that I talk about in this podcast, please reach out to me. Um, my podcast has a Facebook page, which is called Making It in the Messy Middle, um, Find me there, and message the page if you know me personally um send me a text, send me a Facebook message um come talk to me whatever, but please, this is a podcast that I long to have dialogue about because this is not talked about enough in the light of day um this is talked about in you know therapy rooms. I don't know where I was going with that. Um this is talked about in therapy sessions. Um this is talked about in you know psychiatric symposiums, is that the right word? Um this is talked about on your crime dramas um in very not true ways and even in a lot of ways it's not completely truthfully talked about in those psychiatric symposiums and those therapy sessions. Um, And so the goal of this podcast, I like to talk about my goals for each podcast because I want to stay on topic partially (laughs) and remember why I'm doing this, but also so you guys can kind of listen to see if those goals were met for you. Um, So the goal of this podcast is to fight stigma brought by lack of information um, because I haven't even told you what we're talking about. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Talk about lack of information. Um, We are going to be talking about my least favorite, but also my favorite um, disorder, (laughs) mental health disorder, and that is borderline personality disorder. I have this disorder. I was diagnosed with this disorder less than a year ago and was not happy about it. And I'm going to talk about my experience with that in a moment. Um, But let me continue with my goals. Um, I would also like to apologize in advance. I am one room away from some very giggly girls. Um, So if you hear them in the background, I apologize. I don't exactly have a podcasting studio anywhere. (laughs) so, um, But I don't think that they're going to be too much of a distraction. So the goal is to fight the stigma brought by lack of information about this disorder. This is a very stigmatized disorder. Like, I kid you not, the most times outside of therapy that I have heard about this disorder are on crime show dramas. Crime drama shows. You get the point. Um, Where there is typically a woman. Um, who's a murder suspect almost every time, and she's a jilted lover, or she is an abusive mother, or she is you know some kind of crazy quote unquote crazy um to their profiler and she they're gonna say that she's narcissistic they're going to say that she this lack of affection um has caused her to lash out in all of these violent and dangerous ways. Typically, she's self-harmed. They will use that to help them make their diagnosis when they see, you know, the cuts on her arm or things like that. Um, So it's, it's very, very stigmatized in that way. Also, there are some therapists, quite a few actually, who will not see a client if they have borderline personality disorder. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about why later, but because of that, it's even more stigmatized because it's like, oh, even therapists won't see them so clearly they you know, they don't want help or don't need help or all these different things. Um, so it's very stigmatized. The goal is also to be very honest and raw here. I want to show you the good sides, the bad sides, the ugly sides of this disorder from a clinical perspective and also give you some of my personal experience with it. Because something that frustrates me about any kind of disorder out there is everybody thinks that they have to have the same experience in order to have the same disorder. That is not true, okay? Um, It does not matter if you, you know, what disorder you have, whether it be depression or bipolar or generalized anxiety or post-traumatic stress disorder, you know, it does not matter. Your experience is going to be your experience. I have, so if you know me these days, I make a lot of TikToks. <laughs> um, I make a lot of TikToks. And a lot of my TikToks are mental health focused in one way or another. And so I made a TikTok the other day about a specific particular borderline symptom That I had just discovered was a borderline symptom. And I just was talking about this one thing. And someone commented on it. And they were like, oh, I have that. And it's like, oh, well, you know, that, you know, the disorder or the symptom. They're like, oh, the symptom. But I don't don't have borderline personality disorder. Does this mean I have borderline personality disorder? And I'm like, okay, first off, your girl's not a therapist. (laughs) We're working on it. We're, We're working on getting those degrees. But we're not there yet. So first off, I can't tell you yes or no on that. But second off, you can have multiple symptoms of something. You know, I could have one symptom of schizophrenia. That doesn't mean that I have schizophrenia. It's a collection of symptoms that the doctors put together to create the diagnosis for the disorder. So you can have one or two symptoms of something, you know, but there's a certain number of symptoms, and there are specific symptoms in particular, that you have to have, that you have to struggle with in order to get a mental health diagnosis, if that makes sense. That may have not made sense, but, um, so they, you know, there's a lot here, um, and I would like to throw out also, again, I'm not a therapist, (laughs) Um, I'm not trying to diagnose anyone. I'm not trying to tell you what you have. I'm not trying to tell you that this should be your experience with borderline. Um, you know, my goal is also to give you some coping skills because you may struggle with some emotional regulation issues, even if you don't have borderline or you may have borderline, um, and that sort of thing. So but I am not a therapist. I'm not able to diagnose even if I wanted to. Um, and this is not me trying to tell you that this is exactly what borderline should look like, does look like all the time. So if this, you know, if, if you're listening to this podcast and some of these symptoms or struggles are like, Oh my goodness, that is me. Um, talk to a professional. Okay. Um, don't talk to the internet. All right. That's going to be my advice um, is talk to an actual professional, like a therapist, um, because the Internet quiz that you try to take um, will inevitably tell you that you have this disorder because they love to do that. Um, And so and hey, even if that does end up happening and you take the Internet quiz and it says you have borderline personality disorder. My advice is, see a therapist, because if you have borderline personality disorder, cannot stress this enough, it is good for you to have a therapist, okay? (laughs) Um, But I say all that to say, don't listen to this just to see if you have it, because then you're going to have it, if you're like me. If you're like me, you're going to listen to, I could listen to just about anything and I could be like oh my goodness that's me. Oh my goodness that's so me. Oh my goodness. And then I'm panicking and think that I have you know a deadly disease. Been there, done that, got the t-shirt. Um so so that's those are my goals. Fighting stigma, being honest and raw to show you the good, bad and ugly sides of borderline. Um and my own personal experience with it. To give you some coping skills. If you struggle with any of this. Um, So I want to tell you about when I got diagnosed with borderline. This is a funny story in hindsight. In the moment, it was not hilarious. Um, So I actually went to the psychiatrist with my mom. um, And I was talking to him. And I had a list that I wanted to you know, questions to ask him, symptoms to talk about, that sort of thing. And on this list was, um, I wanted to ask him which type of bipolar disorder I had. There are a few types of bipolar disorder. Um, and so I wanted to ask which type he had diagnosed me with. And so we got to that point and I was already kind of upset over something else that we were talking about. And I asked him, you know, which bipolar am I? And he pulls up my chart or whatever and goes, okay, so I've got you diagnosed with complex post-traumatic stress disorder, borderline personality disorder, and bipolar 2. Oh my goodness. When I say I lost it, I cannot describe to you the amount of tears that fell from my face oh I started sobbing um it was so bad and he gives me this whole speech about how you know a a diagnosis doesn't have to define and blah 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 which is true that is valid and I'm grateful you know that he decided to give me that speech all of those things however I was too far gone at this point And so I'm crying. I'm upset. And as soon as we left his office, I sent my therapist a text message. And I said, you know, my psychiatrist says that I have borderline personality disorder. What do you think? And she texted me back and she said that she tended to agree. She agreed with that diagnosis. She is not the type of therapist who can diagnose, um, which is why she had not diagnosed me with this earlier on. Um, and so she was like, yeah, I tend to agree with that. I sent her back a text message that was furiously typed. And I was like, nope, that's not okay with me. I did not accept that. I I don't, I'm sorry. I don't think that I have that. I'm sorry. I just, I apologize probably 20 times, but I just kept saying over and over. I was like, no, I don't, I no, that's not, that doesn't work for me. I'm sorry. That just doesn't work for me. (laughs) And she was like, I think that you'll find it's, not as bad as you think it is. Do a little bit of research on it um and we'll we'll talk about it when you come in. And so I had done some research on it actually in the past and kind of knew that I had this disorder um because like I said, but I was thinking, you know, like I said earlier, I can diagnose myself with a deadly disease in about 4 minutes. So um, I kind of was thinking that has to be it like that. There's no way because I had my own stigma about this disorder. I did not want to have this because in my mind it was horrible. People who had it were horrible. All these, all these things. So this was like the confirmation of my worst fears. And when I talked to her at our session, um, she was like very compassionate, very much tell, you know, like, this is okay. You know, this, this isn't a death sentence. This isn't, you know, anything like that. We've just got to work to manage it. We just got to learn to manage it. And so she had a print off for me, um, from NAMI, I believe, National Alliance of Mental Illness. Um, that she gave me and we talked about it some more. Um, She had a book that she, you know, recommended that we work through and with, all these different things. She was very gracious. And at this point, I didn't actually know that there were therapists who wouldn't work with borderlines. That was not on my radar yet. Um, And I actually, when I, well, not when I found this out, I found this out a while ago. Um, but a few days ago I was actually talking to her and I just told her, I was like, and I want to just throw this out there. You know, I was like, thank you for not dropping me when I got my diagnosis. Um, and she was like, well, thank you for, you know, knowing that I'm not other therapists. (laughs) Um, and I was like, well, I definitely know that because you're amazing. Um, but and other therapists are amazing too. She's just Amazing girl, and she's gonna love my use of improper grammar there, but it's okay. It's okay. (laughs) So that was my diagn diagnosing story, diagnosis story. Um, and I just wanna, I just always want to share that to show you where I started, to show everyone how much it was ingrained in me that this was bad less than a year ago. Um. To show you now where I'm at. So let's go ahead and do a deep dive. We, I have got so much information here that I am so excited to share with you. <laughs> so let's go ahead and talk. Let's talk about this and let's grow together because that's the point of the podcast, growth. Um, so let's first talk about some of the signs, symptoms, struggles. Um things that kind of make this disorder what it is. Um, The biggest two that I have been able to find through my research and experience, oh my goodness, are intense emotions that last long periods of time, making it harder to return to equilibrium, emotional equilibrium. So basically, if we get angry, we're going to go from a Two on the anger scale to a 50 on the anger scale, and it we may not get there in a snap of a finger, sometimes it builds absolutely. Um, but once we're there, oh, we're gonna stay there for a while. Um, and because of that, because it's so intense, most people feel anger on a one to ten scale, we feel it on a one to fifty scale because it's so intense it feels like it lasts forever it feels like it's never going to go away it feels like it's just we're always going to be angry um or it feels like we're always going to be sad you know because it's so intense it's so deep sadness is grief you know and um and all those different things and so intense emotions that last long periods of time and it just makes it more difficult to kind of return to a a balance a place in the middle, a, a healthy emotional level. It's just difficult to reach that again because the emotion got to a 50, you know? Also, intense, unstable, chaotic relationships. We have a tendency to kind of go fast and furious when it comes to relationships. We will kind of jump in head first. And then we jump out as quickly as we jumped in sometimes or we get left as quickly as we jumped in because the other person is like, oh, my goodness, I cannot do this (laughs) because we're a lot. Okay, and I'm not saying that as a bad thing, and we're going to talk about that later, but we are 100 percent a lot. Do not care what anybody wants to say. Um, We're a lot. So. Um, there are also issues with the fact we kind of view everything in extremes. Either you're our best friend or you're our enemy. Um, we are hot and cold. There, there's no lukewarm for us. That is not in our vocabulary even. Um, a lot of therapists get very frustrated with their borderline clients because it's like, Why can't you just find, there's no balance with you. You've got to learn to find balance. And we just don't see that. We don't, it's black and white, you know, there's, there's not a, there's not a gray. It's either right or wrong, you know? And so it's frustrating to us as well. um, Because we're like, why why doesn't the world work this way? Because it feels like it should work this way, you know? And so that's a, a point of friction and this okay this is the hallmark of borderline there are a lot more symptoms and signs and struggles that we're going to talk about um but this is what I'm coming to in my notes so this is where we're going but um this cannot be left out because it is so important this is what drives basically everything else and that is the again I'm going to say intense and I have that written here. I have intense so many times because that is the truth of this disorder. But the intense terror at even the thought of abandonment, that is what drives everything else. We do not want to be left. We do not want people to turn on us. We do not want them to walk away. Um, And so that is what drives everything else in our lives. And we're going to talk more about that later, too. What causes that, how we will, you know, attempt to keep people in our lives, that sort of thing. Um, also, a distorted self-image that leads to a lot of people with borderline having eating disorders, myself included, um, or different, you know, disorders that cause them to literally look in the mirror and see a malformed version of themselves. They can't even see themselves in the mirror. Um, they constantly believe um, that something's wrong with them. And part of that is because they've been told that so many times. Um, there's a chronic emptiness. Uh, struggle with controlling emotions. We talked about the intense emotions that last a long period of time. When those come, it's kind of hard for us to, A, back off of them, It's kind of hard for us to not act on those emotions, um, which leads to impulsivity and things like that. And we'll talk talk more about that, too. Serious trust issues. Oh, goodness. We have been burned, and we don't want to be burned again. So we're going to not trust anything that's given to us because we're going to think that it's going to be taken. Or we're not going to trust anything that's given to us because we want to know what that, you know, what 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 is expected back of us, um, and so there are a lot of trust issues. Um, a symptom is also dissociation, which is when you in a, in very very simple terms feel detached or disconnected from your present or from yourself. Um, so you know sometimes I will be sitting somewhere and looking straight ahead, listening to music, watching a movie, whatever. And all of a sudden I feel like I'm not in that room anymore. I'm looking, I am looking right at the TV or someone's talking to me and I am looking right at them and have, have no idea what they're saying because my, and not just my mind has drifted. That is a form of dissociation in a way. Um, but not just like my mind has drifted, but like, Literally, the way that I best describe it is I used to read these books. Um, I believe they were called the Cain Chronicles. I could be wrong about that. I believe they were Rick Riordan books, um, the guy who wrote Percy Jackson. But they were, instead of Greek mythology mythology, they were Egyptian mythology. And something that Egyptians believe is that when you sleep, your spirit leaves your body and travels around the world and dreams and those sorts of things. And so that's the best way that I know to describe it is it's like, yes, I am sitting in this room. My spirit, however, you know, in this case, my brain, my mind, my thoughts are way somewhere else. Um, I can literally look ahead. And tell you what I'm looking at in my other brain, you know. And I know that that is a horrible description, and I wish that I could describe it more aptly. But um, Google Dissociation, they're going to be able to describe it to you a lot better than I can. (laughs) I apologize. Um, Also, there's a lot of difficulty tolerating distress. Um, Things can happen that cause our emotions to skyrocket, and we kind of just fold in on ourselves. Um, And so then that would be because of a lack of coping skills. We're not good at self-soothing or we have issues with focusing our attention on solving the problem at hand, those sorts of things. And so it kind of causes us to just go pretty far out (laughs) pretty quickly, Um, which is kind of when it comes to emotional
1: outbursts.
0: As well, like we talked about earlier, um, impulsivity that we talked about earlier, um, which can lead to self-harming behaviors, burning, scratching, cutting, those sorts of things, self-sabotage, where we just, hey, things are going really well right now. How can I mess it up? You know, um, And, of course, that is not what goes through our brain. People tend to think when people self-sabotage that what is going through their brain is, oh, everything's great. Let me see how to mess it up. That's not what's happening. There's some kind of fear um, at the root of almost all self-sabotage. And so if you find the root of that fear, then you're going to be able to find a way to combat the self-sabotage. Also, people with borderline really struggle with codependency and lack of boundaries, whether it be their own or whether it be respecting other people's. Um, and we're going we're gonna to talk about that later more in depth as well. But that fear of abandonment kind of leads to a very easily falling into a codependent relationship because we'll do anything to make sure we're not left. And um, that can be very easily taken advantage of um, by a lot of people and so that lack of boundaries as well is major issue um and then i'm not i'm not even going to say that this is the most dangerous and after i say it you're going to be like what um but the, the others because they're more frequent and because they are more triggering um i'm going to call them more dangerous than this particular struggle um but suicidal thoughts, ideations, attempts. A lot of people with borderline personality disorder are almost always passively suicidal. Um, It's called a suicide addiction. And what it is, is basically anytime anything goes wrong, it's like, like I said, that difficulty tolerating distress. It's just like, oh, I would be better off dead. I can't do this. Oh, nope. I can't do this better off dead. You know, when the slightest hiccup comes because the slightest hiccup to someone else can create major waves in our lives. Um, and so again, I'm, I'm not downplaying that because that is dangerous. If you struggle with suicidal thoughts, ideations, those sorts of things, 100% you need to talk to a professional. You need to talk to someone you love. um, If you are thinking about hurting yourself right now, I have some numbers that you can call um, that I want you to look into. Um, The first one that I always recommend to people, especially more my generation, because my generation tends to prefer texting to calling, is... um, 741 741 text the word home to that number h o m e to 741 741 and that is just the crisis text line they will talk to you through and about anything um there is typically a wait so you know be prepared for that and talk to a friend until the crisis counselor can get to you if that's an option um but, or call the suicide prevention line, um and you can look up on Google, you know suicide prevention, lifeline, um, what your local number
1: is, or you can call the you know national. your local and what it is and I always
0: feel the need to explain this difference and I know that this is slightly off track but I feel that this is very important is there is a difference between a hotline and a warm line okay and what the numbers that I just gave you are both warm lines now they will become hotlines pretty quickly if they need to be however they are designed to be warm lines which means that you don't have to you know be in 100% about-to-do-it emergency level before you call them. You can be lonely and call them, and they will talk you through that. You know, you can you can be feeling any kind of way that you are not fond of and call them, and they will talk you through that. That is their de- design. That's why they're there. Um, and then, like I said... They will become a hotline real quick if they need to. If if you start showing signs of, you know, planning to hurt yourself or hurt someone else, then they will get you the desired help that you need. Um, or sometimes undesired help that you need. Because they care. They're good at their job. Um, I've been in that position where I've been involuntarily committed. <laughs> um, And while in the moment it was happening, I was so mad at that crisis counselor. (laughs) I was like, you told me, you know, Um, I am grateful to her for saving my life. And you will be, too. Um, So do not be afraid to call that number whenever you need it, because that's what they're there for. And they know what they're doing. They will keep you safe. Okay? And I want you safe. So, that long ramble, I apologize, but it's a very important ramble, I feel like. So, let's talk about kind of where Borderline comes from, why it happens, and we will go from there. Something that I just found out, actually, through this research is that personality, a human, every human's basic personality is formed in the first 6 years of their life which is terrifying to me because it's like I never want to be around anyone under the age of 6 again um that's too much pressure um but that's also really cool at the same time to get that experience to be around kids under 6 because it's like you get to be there as their personality is formed and you get to help them discover who they are by just letting them be them. And that's really cool. Um, But what that means, why that is relevant, is borderline personality disorder is a personality disorder. So because a human's basic personality is formed in the first six years of their life, what that tells us is most personality disorders, there are absolutely some exceptions to every rule. Most personality disorders, however, are formed within the first six years of a person's life. And so here is kind of what research has discovered to be what creates that, the environment that creates that. And that would be an invalidating environment. Invalidating environment in some way, whether it be you know parents or siblings, um, those sorts of things. So that is a factor. Um, tra- trauma. almost every single person with borderline personality disorder has trauma in their history. Um, and they almost all have some sort of abandonment, like we talked about. That is the root of borderline personality disorder. is the fear of abandonment, and that has to come from somewhere, right? That comes from some abandonment in those first six years. Um, it could be an emotional abandonment or a physical abandonment. Um, so, you know, those are things to kind of look for. There were four characteristics observed in families that their offspring has borderline. And this was um, by a Dr. Lorna Smith-Benjamin. And so I want to share those four with you today because I feel like they're really important to look at because typically we just look at the symptoms of borderline. We don't look at the cause um, because all we see is, you know, all we see are the outward things. We don't think to look past that. And so if we can hear these four characteristics um, of an environment that kind of create borderline, I feel like they can be a little bit more compassionate to each other. Um, so those four were love and concern was only given, um, because of misery, sickness, or debilitation. So basically most people with borderline grew up in a house where the only time that they got love, affection, attention was if they were sick or if something was wrong with them, those sorts of things. Um, And so then there is the family chaos um, aspect, which the borderline is subtly blamed for all the problems in the family and expected to exert some sort of control over the problems in the family, the chaos in the family. Then there were episodes of traumatic abandonment interspersed with periods of traumatic over-involvement. So basically periods of absent parenting and then all of a sudden periods of smothering parenting. And so the child doesn't really get that regulated normal amount of parental involvement. And that that creates struggles, inward struggles um, for the child. And then efforts by the borderline. To establish autonomy are interpreted by the family as indicated disloyalty. So basically any time that the borderline person tries to get better, tries to say, you know, I'm going to move out, or tries to say I'm going to set these boundaries, or those sorts of things, the family is like, oh, you must not love us. Oh, you know, that's, you're not being loyal to the family. You're not giving your all to the family and that creates a struggle as well. So those are kind of the wheres and the whys for Borderline, Um, and we're going to kind of talk more about those characteristics in a moment. Biology also factors in. um, Just like, you know, you may be funny because um, your biological father was funny because that kind of was in your genes, you know, the whole nature versus nurture thing is always going to be an argument among psychology and uh, psychologists. So that obviously does play in, um, in its own way. It's difficult to see how biology plays into personality disorders at this present moment because we can't look at personality disorder, you know, genotypes under a microscope um not yet anyway that i know of i mean i i only did some research i did not do um, the best caliber research there is but um there is a biological factor at the same time so just keep that in mind um then we can kind of talk about what creates the stigma you know, why do some therapists not even see borderline clients? Why why is there such a stigma? And um, one thing that I have found that's kind of keeping the issue alive, keeping the stigma there, is there are actually two types of borderline personality disorder. There is conventional and unconventional, okay? What we're going to be talking about for most of this podcast is the conventional borderlines. I'm a conventional borderline. Um, and so I can speak more from experience there. Now, the, you know, where's and why's are the same for conventionals and unconventionals. But sometimes the ways that that plays out is a little different. And so then you, I'm going to say this about the unconventionals. They kind of get more attention because they're louder, first off, um, but they're, they're gonna kind of be who you hear about in your crime shows, and that sort of thing, um, they tend to be pretty narcissistic in their brains, they have no issues, they don't have any problems, so they don't need help, um, everything is somebody else's fault, you know, all those things, and so that's kind of the issue with an unconventional borderline, like I said we're going to mostly be focusing on conventional borderlines um but here's some other reasons that there's a stigma and I'm just I'm going to be honest you know um we can be pretty difficult and volatile sometimes uh like I said our emotions really do not have a a top you know um and so we can go through the roof pretty quickly and it's kind of you know you want to take a step back like oh my goodness what is happening i you know all i said was please take out the trash that was it you know and they've gone through the roof what's going on um and so and because of our lack of communication skills most of the time um we're not going to be able to explain to you why you asking us to take out the trash was a trigger we're just going to go through the roof and then hide in a corner And that sort of thing. And so there's no let's talk this through going on here. Um, And sometimes we don't even know why that was a trigger. And so because we don't know how to explain it, we don't want to talk about it. Because we don't know what's going on. We're ashamed of ourselves. We're beating ourselves up more than you ever could. You know? And so there's a lot of that causing an issue. Also, we can be pretty clingy and needy. Oh, my goodness. Our fear of abandonment means that when we think somebody is the person, we are going to hold on tight and we want everything from that person. We tend to put all of our energy into one human being. Um, And and we're going to talk about that later, too, because that's actually a term. There is a psychological term for that. And it's very simple. Um, Favorite person. That's it. Um, when talking about borderlines, though, you, you have to think about the favorite person aspect. So we're going to talk about that later. But we can be very clingy and needy. And a lot of people are not okay with that. That's not cool. You know, we, they need their space. Rightfully so. Um, also, the fact that we don't really know what a middle ground is. We don't really know balance. We go to extremes. That's a lot for people um that's a struggle under again understandably so um when i say all of these things and i say some people don't like that you know i am not saying but they should you know they should put up with it that's not what i'm saying it is completely understandable those emotional outbursts that we have include anger outbursts anger is pretty intimidating to quite a few people um most people don't enjoy being around angry people Especially people whose anger is kinda on a hairpin trigger, um so they kind of distance themselves, and it's like that is just a crazy person, you know um ingrained patterns of thinking and behavior mean that we are not very easily swayed um We have had this personality disorder since we were a kid, and so the ways that we've coped with it unhealthily even we are wanting to stick with because it's kept us it's kept us alive to this point i know that sounds really dramatic and drastic but what you have to understand is literally we were working to survive as children um we weren't we weren't growing up as kids most of us were in abusive households or in households where We had to take care of other people or all of these different things. And so what we did, we did to survive. That codependency was for survival. That um, even those emotional outbursts, they were for survival. They were loud showings of, hey, don't mess with me or I will mess you up, (laughs) you know. And so... But because of that, we've got this very ingrained pattern of thinking and behavior, and we're, even though it's dangerous and unhealthy, and we know that on some level, to us, it's what's keeping us alive. To us, we have to stay there. We have to stay in that rut because it's safe, even though it's not. And so a lot of people don't want to be around that because it's like, this person's never changing. They're not even trying. So I don't want to be around them. Um, And then some of us, we like to push boundaries to see how much people care. Um, Again, that is not all borderlines. I tend to be of a different persuasion. um, And we're going to talk about that later, too. But a lot of borderlines will be like, okay, let's see if they'll do this one more thing for me. Because then I'll then I'll believe that they love me. Um, And that's exhausting. Oh my goodness, that's exhausting to be around. I've been around people like that. I've been the person who's been like that. And it's exhausting for everyone. It's exhausting to keep seeing what else they'll do just to make them love me. You know, it's, you know, to, to make myself feel their love. That's exhausting. It's also exhausting to be the other side of that. Who's like, I have done everything I know to do for you. And you keep pushing. What more do you want from me? I have tried everything. I do love you. I do care. And you don't, you refuse to see it. So I'm done. I'm out. I'm out. Also, there's the difficulty with improving. Um, kind of like we talked about a second ago with those ingrained patterns of thinking and behavior. We also tend to distort um, what's happening, including what someone is telling us and what is kind of going on in our head, what we're thinking, because... We have a lot of inner voices. Um, I don't mean that in the way that like, you know, we hear voices that aren't there. Um, But we have a lot of people from our past still up in our head talking to us all the time. We hear them in every decision that we make and we we want to make them happy. Even if we don't like them, we still don't want them to leave us subconsciously even like they could be dead. this sounds extreme, but you have got to stay with me here. They could be dead and I don't want to make them upset with me. So I'm still going to hear their teeny tiny voice in my head and let that help steer my decisions along with all the other teeny tiny voices in my head that are. Oh, so loud. Um, and so that is a big struggle. And this is one that kind of plays into why a lot of therapists won't see borderlines. The, Um, pushing of boundaries and the difficulty improving those are the two biggest and I actually read um, an article by a Dr. David Allen who's a psychiatrist who also does talk therapy Um, so a lot of a lot of psychiatrists just do meds but he does meds and therapy and so he works with borderline clients and has been for a very long time And so he was struggling with why are they not getting better? You know, they take three steps forward, 20 steps back. What is going on? I do not understand. So he asked them all this question. What would happen if I could wave a magic wand over you and you suddenly get better and stay better? And, of course, they wanted to give all these non-answers like, you know, oh, I'd probably find a way to screw it up, you know, haha. But he kept pushing and made them give him a real answer. And what he found was most of them said, well, so-and-so would leave. Oh, I'd get kicked out. Oh, well, these people wouldn't hang out with me anymore. And so if you remember back to the hallmark of the struggle here is a fear of abandonment, right? That fear of abandonment drives everything else. And so it kind of goes back to those four characteristics of what creates an environment that grows a borderline. And I sound like I'm talking about a plant here, but I mean, you I mean what's the joke? We're basically all just plants with more complicated emotions. Um. So it goes back to those four characteristics, which it's two of them that really play into this the most. So those two characteristics were that love was only given when there was misery or sickness of some kind, some kind of debilitation. And so, because of that, the borderline will fear getting better, will fear healing because they're not going to get me love if they're better. They're not going to get me love or attention or those things that they need and seek the most because they didn't receive it growing up. They're not going to receive those things if they're a quote unquote healthy human being. And so, that's one. Thing that kind of holds a borderline back. But also, um, the characteristic about how they're blamed for the issues and the chaos in the family, and also kind of expected to exert control over that. So basically, they're the family's necessary scapegoat in that anytime there's an issue, they're gonna point to the borderline and how it's their fault. Okay, look, I've been there. I have had family members look me in the face, you know, and tell me. How all the arguing in the family is my fault, or all of the chaos in the family is my fault. And I am not like, you know, downsizing their words. I am quoting, okay? So that is a struggle because once you start to get better, what Dr. Allen talked about, he saw happening was the family of the borderline would cluster. He said, family members who were not even involved previously would come out of the woodwork to start hounding the borderline for why their improvements were hurting the family. You know, why those boundaries that they decided to set meant that they didn't love their mom. Those sorts of things. And so because of that and because of their fear of abandonment, the borderline is going to retreat right back into that place where they were originally. the scapegoat, the sick one, the messed up one, you know, those sorts of things. I I actually, (laughs) it's kind of funny because um, my cousin is visiting and um, I am visiting as well. And I don't live here anymore. I visit now. That's funny. I didn't even think about that. Um, (laughs) So we're visiting my parents' house. And um, my cousin was talking about how she had Pretended to have a tongue piercing to kind of freak out my grandmother, and how my grandmother was like, I just couldn't believe that you would do that, you know, ha ha, all that stuff. And I kind of made a joke to my cousin, and I was like, ah, it's fine, you know. Anytime you have that issue, just be like, hey, at least I'm not as bad as Caitlin, you know, because I have pink hair now, which I love, by the way. I would just like to point that out to anyone who's listening and cares. The pink hair is my new favorite, but, um. Grandma didn't like it very much. Um, and so I've placed myself, like I've I've let myself kind of stay in that role. Um, and I joke about it now because it's I've just been there so long. But when the family starts kind of pushing them back into that place, they're so used to that, that's just normal. That they're not gonna tell a therapist, you know, and be like, oh well, you know, I know I said I was gonna set more boundaries. But when I did, this happened with my family. So I just kind of took a step back because they're so used to that happening that it's like breathing. And so all the therapist sees is you were keeping boundaries for a week and then you stopped. Why did you stop? You know, and, and it's frustrating for the therapist. And so that would be a really big issue for why therapists don't like to see borderlines as well, because they don't always get the full picture because the borderline doesn't always know that there's more to the story because this is their life. This is what they're used to, you know. And also a big thing that contributes to the stigma is a lot of people think we should have more control. Um, and that is frustrating to us um because we think we should have more control too oh my goodness you have no idea um people will get so frustrated with us because it's like why didn't you just or why did you let you know let me tell you a trade secret the whole time it's happening the whole time we're spiraling downward the whole time You know, we're having that angry outburst about you asking us to take out the trash. The whole time that's happening, all we're thinking in our head is, what the mess are you doing? Like, calm down. Why is this happening? Why am I freaking out over the trash can? You know? We're freaking out over the fact that we're freaking out. We are beating ourselves up. We are crying. (laughs) We are. And it's making it worse. Um. And so, because we're so scared that we're going to get left, we, we think we should have more control too. And it actually really helped me because I was in the hospital recently and I was really angry. Oh my goodness. I was so angry and I was really manic at the time. And I was speaking to my, so my psychiatrist at the hospital um has a a resident and a medical student. And at the time I was speaking to just the medical student who I really like her. She's fantastic. And I told her, I was like, I'm just so angry. I'm just so angry. And I don't know why. And she put down her pad and her pen and she looked at me and she was like, Because you're manic. That's why. I know that doesn't help you be less angry, but there is a reason for your anger. And and it's mental illness. Um, And it's okay that you're angry. And just hearing her say that to me was like, oh, oh, I didn't. Okay. Like, I didn't think about it that way. But it's the same with borderline, guys. I am not using, you know, this as an excuse. I'm not saying I have borderline, so that is my get out of jail free card. I can do whatever I want to do. No. mm -mm. We absolutely deserve and need to be held accountable for our actions, 100%. But we also deserve grace, like any human being does. Um, Because when I say that I'm beating myself up way more than you ever could, you have no idea how true that statement is. In, In those moments when I'm spiraling, when I'm freaking out, when I'm going over the top, When I'm having a panic attack in the middle of, you know, that event I was really excited to be at. When all of these things are happening, all I'm thinking in my head is, I just want to die. I can't do this. I'm so sick of this. Why can't I stop? What is wrong with me? I hate myself. I hate myself so much. They hate me. They all hate me. And they deserve to hate me because I'm the worst. Okay, like, you think I'm exaggerating.
1: Oh, ask ask a borderline. Ask them what's going through their head during that spiral. Some of us can't always
0: articulate, you know, is it articulate? <laughs> is that the right word? Um, what's going on in our brains. Because when you're mid-spiral, oh my goodness, you are pretty out there. But I promise you, we wish... <laughs> oh we wish that we could stop
1: um and there are tools there uh to help us stop sometimes they're going to work and sometimes they're not
0: sometimes we're going to need someone to help us stop but the issue is a lot of times people don't know what that looks like people don't know how to do that and so they just want to walk away or they want to yell and match our emotions or they want to coddle and fix all these things and we're going to we're going to talk about you know that later ways to help in a spiral that sort of thing um help yourself you know and and help a borderline so we are going to talk about that later right now I want to talk about randomness that is what this section is titled <laughs> randomness um let's talk about favorite people okay Everybody has a favorite person. Just, well, just about everybody, anyway. I know some people who, who don't. But um, just about everybody has a favorite person, right? Well, with someone with borderline personality disorder, we find a favorite person and we hold on tight. Um, we will do anything for that person. We will also do anything to keep that person. Um, people with borderline personality disorder are very susceptible to abusers. Uh, we'll do whatever it takes not to be left. And people like that. Abusers like that. Um, and so they'll kind of fall in step with us, chill with us for a bit, and then turn on us. Um, that is very common. Narcissistic, narcissistic manipulators and borderlines are often found together. Um, and so, if you have borderline personality disorder, please hear me when I say uh, you deserve better. You, I know that they feel like the world to you. Because they're giving you what you think you need and making you feel what you think you want to feel but you got to pay attention to those red flags. Um if you're like me, we see the red flag and we're like, how red can that flag get? Let me get a little bit closer and just figure out maybe it's not a red flag and um, you know, it's probably fine. And what this is called <laughs> is an a an attach hook, I believe, attachment hook, attach hook. Um And what it is, is you want something so badly. You want to feel a certain way so badly. Whether it, you know, you want to be loved, you want to be shown affection, you want to be whatever. So you are willing to avoid, you know, ignore all the red flags and go straight for that thing. As long as that person's giving you that thing. You don't care about the red flags. Um, And so there's that. But there's also the avoidance hook, and I just want to say this um, because it falls in with the attachment hook. The avoidance hook is kind of the opposite. It's like I grew up in a house where my parents fought all the time, so I'm going to avoid fighting at all costs, which means, yes, this person never communicates with me, Yes, they never tell me what they're feeling. Yes, you know all of these red flags, but we don't fight all the time, so I'm gonna stick with it, you know. And so there's there's that as well, and and we are very susceptible to avoidance hooks as well, but we tend to fall more for those attachment hooks. So I really really want this, so I'm gonna r- avoid all the red flags to get there. However, favorite people <laughs> relationships <laughs> tend to crash and burn pretty quickly if they're not cared for properly because since we attach so much to that person, we kind of expect them to be perfect. We expect them to fulfill all of our needs. And for a little while, they will because we'll only need what they can give us, if that makes sense. But then our needs grow because in reality, we needed all of these things To begin with, we just weren't willing to show them that we needed it. And then we find out, oh, they can't meet all of my needs. I'm not a fan of that. And so we push back. However, we decide to do that. For different people, it's different. Um, I'll be honest. Talk about how it is for me. Um, For me, it tends to be okay. It goes back to that whole, you know, only getting love in sickness, misery, debilitation. I'm like, okay, I need to be more needy. They must just need me to need them more. Cuz if I need them more, then um then they'll stay. That's how I typically go with my favorite people is 20 steps backwards <laughs> um when I feel them start to drift because I feel like if I can keep the intensity of the relationship up, then they're going to stay, because if the intensity is gone, then why do they want to stay? If I can make them feel needed, if I can make them feel important, I will make my favorite person feel like there is literally no one else on the planet that I care about, Uh, whether it be through writing letters that literally say that to them. (laughs) Been there, done that. Um, (laughs) Whether it be through, you know, Ignoring everyone else and letting them know that I'm ignoring everyone else. I I want to give them everything. Make them feel like the most important person on the planet. Um, and I do that in really unhealthy ways quite often. So that tends to be how my favorite person relationships burn out. Is the other person gets very exhausted of me. Because I'm just constantly wanting their attention, constantly wanting to be there. And what's interesting is I also want to be their favorite person. Um, and so I want to be needed
1: too, which typically my favorite people are going to be
0: older than I am. Um, mother figures, I guess, if that makes sense. Um, And so they don't want to rely on me because I'm younger. You know, I'm not, quote unquote, at their level. Um, And so then I get frustrated because they're not leaning on me the way that I want them to. The way that I'm leaning on them. You know, I feel like if I'm leaning on them enough, then they'll lean on me enough. And then we'll be each other's favorite people and we'll need each other. And... (laughs) Then nobody can leave because we both lean on each other too much. And it's just not healthy. And it creates a very codependent relationship with a constant lack of boundaries because then they're sharing with me and I'm sharing with them. And eventually the rug gets pulled out from under us and they walk away um, because it's exhausting. And so that tends to be my favorite people burnout. With others, it's going to be a, I'm going to push their boundaries, and when they don't let me push their boundaries, I'm going to blow up, explode, be angry in their face. Um, And then you freak out because you blew up in their face, and you run. I'm a runner. <laughs> Literally the slightest anxious feeling can come up in my body, and I'm like, where can I go? I got to leave. I got to go. You know? So a lot of borderlines are like I'm going to leave this relationship now before they can leave me. So it blows up and you leave a really good relationship because of fear. And so there's a lot of reasons that those blow up um but those are two of the most common I think. And a lot I read a quote that said many borderline personality disorder clients have learned not to trust those very attachments that they demand and crave. And that is really the honest truth because we don't want to be abandoned. So if we're not emotionally attached, then we can't be abandoned, but we really want to be emotionally attached. Cause that's really all we want in life. You see, you see, you see the struggle, you see the issue here. <laughs> and also our love language and attachment styles are kind of very childlike, very stunted. Um, and so that creates some issues. Clearly, you know, obviously I'm 21 years old. I should not, act like a five-year-old when I don't feel like my emotional needs are being met um I should act like a 21-year-old and meet them myself sometimes you know so it's it's a struggle there because of the lack of communication as well but also we do like firm boundaries a lot of us do so some borderlines like I said are are the kind who want to push boundaries and see how far they can get. Some of us, however, are not like that. Um, I am more comfortable around a person who is very clear, very honest, very real with their boundaries, and very consistent with their boundaries, because if I don't know a person's boundaries, I will either take 500 steps away from them, or I'll go way, way past them, you know? And I'll constantly be thinking in my head, am I too close to their boundaries? Have I crossed a boundary? Did they really want to do that? Or did they just say yes because they felt like they had to? And I'm going to be constantly guessing, constantly second guessing, constantly upset with myself, you know, constantly upset with them because one second this was a boundary and the next second it wasn't. And now I'm confused and scared and think they hate me. So I'm going to prefer someone whose boundaries are very clear, very obvious, very easily and very well communicated to me, because I'm not going to push that boundary because I want them to stay, but I also want them to stay, so I want to know what their boundaries are, so it's easier not to cross them, so I'm not always anxiously second-guessing. Another thing to think about um, when it comes to borderline is medication. Medication messes with your brain's chemicals um, most of the time. There are some medications that, you know, mess with different things, but most of the time it's going to mess with your brain's chemicals. And that is not an issue with borderline. Like we talked about, it's more of an environment thing, it's more of a learned behavior thing. Um, So, medication. It's going to treat the symptoms, it's going to treat the anxiety, or it's going to treat the depression, or it's going to treat the, you know, intensity of the emotions sometimes, but it's not going to treat the core cause because it can't, it can't do that. So that's something to think about. I'm not saying that meds aren't helpful because meds are 100% helpful for the people that they're helpful for. I know that was very profound but I'm serious okay meds are helpful for some people so if your doctor recommends medication and it's working with your body uh you know there's nothing wrong with taking medication I'm saying this mostly to the people who don't have borderline personality disorder who are looking from the outside in because a lot of times we're going to be told well, you just need to be on, you know, Xanax, you know, whatever. And that would chill you out. Well, that's not always the case. And that's not always the solution. So think about that. Because, you know, borderline borderline can't be cured. And it really can't be cured with meds. Um, symptoms can be treated, but can't be cured. So, um... Uh, This is also total randomness. I just wanted to throw this out there because I was listening to this song this morning, and I was like, oh my goodness, this would fit so well in my podcast because this is a really good example of a borderline relationship. (laughs) So I'm going to quote a few lines from this song because it's very relevant. And you've probably heard this song. It's called Wrecking Ball." (laughs) <laughs> by Miley Cyrus. Um so these are some of the lines that I felt like, "Oh my goodness, like that really really describes a borderline relationship." Um we jumped never asking why. Well, first off, we just talked about this, right? Like we're going to dive headfirst into those relationships, whether they're healthy or not, because it's like, "Oh, I just I need this, so I'm going to go." Don't you ever say, I just walked away. I will always want you. First is the whole, you know, don't say I walked away. Because I would have never done that. I would have never walked away from this relationship. I would have died in this relationship. Right? But also, she didn't say, I will always love you. She said, I will always want you. And I think that's kind of, I mean, I know that in this song, that's pretty interchangeable. And that's meant to be the same thing. But I think it's an important distinction because, yes, I'm not saying that borderlines don't love because, oh, my goodness, we love big. We love hard. But we want you. We want your love. We want your attention. We want your affection. So then is the chorus. And it's like, oh, wow. (laughs) You know, I came in like a wrecking ball. I never hit so hard in love. All I wanted was to break your walls. All you ever did was wreck me. All I wanted was for you to love me. All I wanted was for you to let me in. All I wanted was for you to, you know, let me break down those walls that you had put up and just let me fix you. But all you did was wreck me. I put you high up in the sky, and now you're not coming down. I idolized you. I put you way up there. I thought the world of you, and now you're still up there, and you think you're all that. Maybe this is just my interpretation, but this is where we're coming from here. So (laughs) that's all that matters at this point. I never meant to start a war. I just wanted you to let me in. And instead of using force, I guess I should have let you in. This was supposed to be a relationship. This wasn't supposed to be war. This wasn't supposed to be craziness. I, I just wanted you to to let me be there. I just wanted you to let me love you. I just wanted this. But I guess I shouldn't have kind of forced my way in, should I? You know, I guess I shouldn't have just broken down the door. I should have let you make some of these decisions.
1: So I think that's really good um, <laughs> depiction. Uh, and I just wanted to share that because it was awesome. Now let's talk about, for just a second, the reality of borderline. Kind of the cool parts of borderline. I will be honest, I didn't come up with this list on my own.
0: Um, <laughs> because I, if you would have looked at me yesterday and said, Hey, Caitlin, describe to me some of the positive aspects of borderline personality disorder. I would have laughed in your face i am be like positive. Pfft. The mess, none. <laughs> it hasn't killed me yet. Like I don't know. Um, but I think that this is really cool. Um, to look at. I found this actually from someone that I follow on
1: TikTok.
0: Don't think I'm crazy, please. Um, and I want to share this with you, like her account, because she's. Fantastic. Her videos are very explanatory. They're very um easy to understand. Um and she does a lot better job of explaining than I do. And of course, she only talks for one minute, and I talk for two hours. So <laughs> um, but her account name is J dash Mac. So J-M-A-C. Um and she's amazing. I love her. Um and so I actually found some of these from her TikToks and some of them I found from a book that I worked through with my therapist. And so there are positives, guys. There are there are good things. And first is we give our all to people. Right? Like, "Oh my goodness, I will give you everything. Everything you ask." Um, and yes, that is partially because I don't want you to leave me, but it's also because I love you. Like the intensity that we feel our emotions at means that when we love, we love big. And if we let ourselves love someone, we go past that, you know, distrust. Um, then we love really big and we will give our all. And we're undyingly loyal like oh my goodness we are a ride or die okay we we will go to the ends of the earth with you and because we don't want to be left we're going to respect boundaries that we know are there most of the time again you know that's not for everyone um just like it's not for all people who don't have borderline but most of the time we will try really hard to respect those boundaries. We're really strong. We have been through it, right? And we've come out on the other side surviving. That's pretty cool, and we should be proud of that. We should know that that's important. Um, you know, we're more than our borderline personality disorder. We're emotionally intuitive. We can read other people's emotions because of the intensity that we feel ours at. We recognize that in others. And so we also want to validate their emotions because ours haven't been. So we want to be that for other people. And that's really good and really cool. We show our love in really big ways. We're very affectionate once we get past that distrust because we want people to feel what we don't. And so we show love in big ways. We also allow for freedom of expression. Because we don't know who we are. <laughs> you know, borderlines, like I said, have all those tiny voices in their heads, creating a lot of identity crises. <laughs> and so because of that, it's like you want to do whatever you want to do. Go for it. Because I, if you want to explore yourself, I think you should. And it's really cool. Um, so the next question, the real question, the big question is how do we navigate this? How, how do we get through this if we have borderline? How do we get through this if someone we love has borderline? And if you're listening to this, I'm going to say that you love someone with borderline because this chick's got borderline. No, I'm kidding. Um, But no, seriously, how do you get through it? Because that's a lot. That is a lot. And we haven't even talked about all of it because I have been talking for such a long time and I'm tired of talking and you're tired of listening to me. So How do we navigate it? How do we get through it? First off, I think the most important part is don't think of it as me versus you. Borderline versus society. Because that's scary for the borderline. Oh my goodness, all we fear is alienation and now you're going to alienate us, (laughs) you know? And so that's scary. And it also doesn't help you because it puts us on the other side of a fence that we would love to cross and just give you a big hug, you know? So it's not us versus you. It's not anything like that. It's us together. It's a relationship and relationships are mutual. They're important that you both give what you can give. So. Think of it that way before you start separating. I mean, I've fallen prey to that as well. Um, You know, how do I work on, you know, fixing me? And you can't fix anyone else. That's the other thing that we have to keep in mind is we cannot fix anyone else. And it's not our job to fix anyone else. We can help other people. We can be there for other people. We cannot fix them. Please stop trying. <laughs> it is exhausting for the people that you're trying to fix. I've been the fixer. I've been the person that is trying to be fixed. Um, it's exhausting for all parties. If we would just stop trying to fix each other, then I feel like the world would be a much happier place. <laughs> Don't fix. Be friends. Um, <laughs> But also, set clear boundaries. For your sake and for our sake. Like I talked about, you know... It's going to be easier for us to navigate the relationship if we know the boundaries. We may try and test them at first just to see if they're real, you know, or if they're fake boundaries. Because there are people who will put up fake boundaries. Myself included. Okay. I have no boundaries. But when they go up, they're they're probably fake. (laughs) Got to work on that. Got to work on that. But set those boundaries also for your sake. Because you need to protect yourself. Okay. That is the number one thing about any relationship is taking care of you first. Because if you're not taking care of yourself, you can't take care of anybody else, right? They always say, well, they always say it cuz they're always right. Um learning that slowly but surely. But it's really important to take care of yourself because especially in a borderline relationship, whether you're the borderline or the person without borderline, whether you're the favorite person or just i say just a person in their life. Believe me when i say they love all the people in their life, okay? I love the people in my life. Even when i'm fixated on my favorite person. Okay? Uh i don't show that very well. When i have a favorite person that i'm very fixated on because i will literally turn off the world to be there for that one person and i'm so sorry if you fall into the wayside As a person who loves me, um, and I haven't shown you that love back when I've been infatuated with my favorite person. I'm so sorry, but we do care about everyone in our lives. Um, And so, but taking care of yourself is of utmost importance because you deserve to heal. You deserve to be in a healthy place. And if you're not taking care of yourself, setting clear boundaries, protecting yourself, you're going to get pulled down real far, real quick. And then everybody's going to split and everybody's going to be angry at each other because we all pulled each other down or, you know, whatever. And it's just going to be really messy and really bad for everybody involved because we're all going to end up hurt, right? So take care of you. And sometimes that's going to mean that you need a break from the borderline. You know, you need me, you know, you need me to walk away. You need to walk away. And so you have to do that. And that's okay.
1: Tell us, please don't just walk away with no explanation. Um, tell us, hey, I need a week to think about some things. I will you know call you in a week.
0: Please don't bother me until then. Or maybe don't say bother. I mean you can say bother, but <laughs> maybe say please don't text me until then. <laughs> um and then hold fast to that boundary. Don't respond to anything that you know is said between now and then. And I'll be honest, that may hurt at first. That may hurt like a mother, okay? Um
1: <laughs> but it's more important that you take care of yourself than that you protect my feelings. Okay?
0: I'm only going to say that once because it hurt to say. <laughs> no, no, but really, it really is way more important that your well-being is taken care of and protected than my feelings
1: being protected. Especially if you did it in a respectful way. A healthy way. A way where you communicated your needs. Um, And you came back. I'm not going to stay mad at that. I promise. Okay? And honestly... I'm going to be really proud of you for taking care of yourself, even if I'm mad.
0: <laughs> I'm not just saying that either. I promise. I'm going to be a little jealous that you know how to do it, too. <laughs> um, so a really important thing for a borderline would be, you know, feeling safe. So if you can help your borderline friend feel safe, that would be awesome. You know, be honest. Keep those boundaries. Be there when you can. Uh, Let us know when you can't. Ignoring is really, really hard on a borderline. And I know that sometimes there's no way around that, you know? But being ignored for days on end um, gives us that abandonment feeling pretty quickly.
1: Um, So just let us know if you can't talk. Just let us know if, you know, you're going to... Take a walk, you know,
0: say maybe next week.
1: Or if you don't want to do it, then
0: say, hey, that doesn't really work for me. I love you. Let's do this instead. Something like that. Offer alternatives. That's sometimes the key to boundaries, I've found, um, is being honest about the fact that you can't do it. And then also honest about an alternative or another time that it can be done. You're welcome for that free therapy tip. (laughs) And also validate our emotions. That's going to really help us feel safe um, because we didn't really get a lot of validation growing up. That's what kind of created a lot of this struggle. So affirm and validate our emotions, our struggles, those sorts of things.
1: And if you want to help during a spiral, distract us. Um. Validate us first. You know, let
0: it don't just some people like to skip to the distracting. And that that's good, that works. But not for the long term. So the validation and the affirming first is gonna really help because it's gonna feel like we're not ignoring the struggle. But then help us know that this moment, yes, it feels like it's gonna last a lifetime, but it's gonna be over. It's gonna end. It's gonna be okay. I'm here with you. You know, let's do this, let's paint, let's play you know the concentration hand quacking, you know something like that. um something to remember is that meltdowns don't mean that we don't care. our emotions spiking and us acting out does not mean that we don't love you. sometimes it's the exact opposite. sometimes it's because we love you, and we don't know what to do with that feeling in the moment um so. I'm not saying don't leave that meltdown because if we are attacking you, you know, verbally or lashing out or those sorts of things, what did I just say? Take care of yourself first, you know, say, hey, I'd really love to sit with you through this, but if you're going to keep saying those rude things to me, then I'm going to leave. And yeah, we're going to be really ticked about it (laughs) sometimes, but we'll get over it. I promise. I promise, you are more important than our feelings, even to us. And you don't have to meet us at that emotional level. If I'm at a fifty, you don't have to come up to a fifty. You feel whatever you're feeling, okay? And that's fine. That's okay. That's probably better sometimes <laughs> for than for us both to be at fifties, because then we're at a hundred and um yeah, that's not always fun for anyone involved. So just be patient and love us because that's really all we want. That's really all that we're craving and desiring more than anything. And if you'll remember that we aren't crazy all the time anyway, that would be really helpful too. <laughs> so when it comes to coping skills for people with borderline, therapy is always going to be my number one go-to. I love therapy. I love good therapists. I love my therapist. She's fantastic. I love my last, not my last. I don't like my last therapist.
1: <laughs>
0: but my therapist that I had for like 5 years, um, love her. She's like the best person ever. Um, so I will always be a proponent of of therapy because I've had good therapists. You know? Um, I've had bad ones too, okay? I've been down that road as well, and I know that it's frustrating to try and find a good therapist, but once you find them,
1: oh my goodness, hold on to them,
0: you know? Oh my goodness, they can make such a difference in your life. They can save your life. They can change your life for the better. They will walk with you through your darkest valleys, but they'll also walk with you up those high mountains, right? They will take that hike to the waterfall with you and tell you how cool the waterfall is. I know, I use a lot of metaphors. Part of that's because of my therapist of five years. <laughs> you think a lot of metaphors. <laughs> I love it. Um, So therapy is great. Stick, you know, with finding the right therapist. And if you have borderline, that can sometimes be a struggle because you're going to want to push boundaries. You're going to want to be the favorite client. You're going to want to see all these different things.
1: Um, stay where you're at, okay? Stay in the moment. Stay present. And recognize the therapist for what they are a therapist, a helping professional. That is the context of your relationship.
0: That's all that that can be. But that's a really big thing if you treat it correctly. So treat it correctly. Um, Respect those boundaries. Some good um, types of therapy for borderline personality disorder are talk therapy, you know, psychotherapy. Just kind of what we think of when we think of therapy. Um, also, the big one for borderline is dialectal behavioral therapy, which is really important in working on mindfulness, emotional regulation, distress tolerance, those sorts of things also cognitive behavioral therapy is good because that's pretty much good for everything trauma therapy, whether it be you know e m d r working with eye movements or equine therapy working with horses and Those sorts of things, you know, working on that trauma and the root of the borderline personality disorder can sometimes help you move forward. So work on that mindfulness. Work on noticing those thoughts and emotions and sitting with them, even when they're uncomfortable. Because sometimes it's better to sit with your emotions than act on them. Um, Learning to kind of think things through. And also making it, you know, working on distress tolerance. So making it through an incident without making it worse. That is something I never even thought about. But a lot of times when I start to spiral, I will throw thoughts into the spiral that are just gonna make that tornado a lot bigger. Okay, so distress tolerance will help with that. And one um acronym that I saw to help with that is STOP, which is super easy to remember because stop right? It's just like, what's going on in your brain anyway? That's what you're telling yourself anyway. So put these letters with that acronym, STOP. So the S is for STOP. The T is for take a step back. The O is for observe. The P is for proceed. So stop, take a step back, and look. Observe. See what's going on. Do a body scan. Feel what you're feeling in your body. Notice where you're feeling that emotion in your body. Sit with that for a second. Look, observe the situation around you. Observe the thoughts in your brain. Just be there with that for a second. And then
1: proceed. Proceed with thought. Proceed with mindfulness. Another one
0: that I think is really cool that I actually found in this book um, that me and my therapist worked through it was called um, Stronger Than BPD, and it was by Debbie Corso, um, and we actually used the workbook. There's a book and then a workbook companion, and we did the workbook, and it's super helpful even if you just have the workbook, but um, it talked about a exercise to help with You know, uncontrollable thoughts. And so I want to tell you about that really quick. And then we will be basically done. Um, So first you list the thought in one sentence. So, you know, figure out what you're thinking and bring it down to one sentence. So for instance, something that I did was... um, This person thinks I'm weird. I had just gotten off the phone with this person for the first time. And, I mean, it had gone really well. We'd talked for quite a while. But, I don't know. I just always get a weird vibe. So, I said, you know, so-and-so thinks I'm weird. After you list the thought in one sentence, you put the feelings that that thought makes you feel. So, for me, it was frustration and fear. Then, you list some irrefutable facts so a completely biased unbiased completely unbiased observer could look at these facts and say yes that is true so what i put was i overshare and those awkward pauses that we had in the conversation so then you list okay is that true were those facts actually true you know what were those thoughts based in so with the over i overshare I put okay that was based in fear and judgment that may not be completely true. Um and if I were to challenge those thoughts, the awkward pauses, well she said that I didn't overshare. She's a little awkward herself, so those awkward pauses could have been from that. And she checked in on me after the phone call. So obviously she didn't think I was that weird. <laughs> And then you write out the balanced thought in one sentence. So, so so-and-so may not think that I'm too weird and the emotions that that makes you feel, which were ease and joy. And then you write down what you're going to do next time you feel that kind of thought. So what I put was, I remember that I can't judge the thoughts of others, and then I'm going to breathe, and I'm going to be okay no matter what they're thinking. And so I literally used that exercise and did that with basically every negative thought that I had come through for a while until it just became like a snap reflex. And it's just what I did when I started thinking negatively. And so it became really helpful. I don't do it as often anymore as I should. But once you start doing it and you actually stay consistent with it, oh my goodness. Like, I don't say life-changing very often, but it is pretty life-changing. So, that was so much information. This is like a two-hour long podcast. I'm so sorry, you guys. But I love you so much for listening. Um, I love you so much for sticking with me. I love you so much for sticking in my life through my borderline personality disorder. Trust me, we all do. All of us borderlines love all of our people. Even when we're horrible at showing it. Um, And even when we think that you probably hate us. It's a very complicated disorder. That is really what it comes down to. It's very complicated. It's very fresh. It's very frustrating for basically everyone involved. But don't give up. Um, When you feel like you're too much because you feel like a burden on your friends, remember that, yeah, you may be a lot because borderlines are a lot. We're a lot, but we are not too much. Okay, we're not too much for the right people. I don't care what they say. I don't care what anybody else has told you. You're not too much for the right people. They love you. They care about you, even when you don't believe it, and even when it hurts to hear. Let people in. Don't dive in headfirst. You know, be cautious about where where you put your your heart and your faith. But it's better to have loved and lost, right? Even if we've loved and lost a million times, okay? When it feels like it's too much, the emotions, the thoughts, the the frustrations, the
1: fears, I know that it's a lot. I know that sometimes it's too much. Please lean on your people. Be honest with them. The real ones aren't going to run. Okay, you've got this. Lean, remember that you're worth it because you are a hundred per cent.
0: We've got this. We've all got this, whether you got borderline personality disorder or not.
1: We are amazing humans, we are worthy because we are unique we're We're great. You know we're capable, we're strong, we've all been through a lot. But we're all in this together, as they say in high school (laughs) Musical. We've got this thing. You're so loved. Oh my goodness, you have no idea. And I don't say that in jest, and I don't say that in the effort of being cliche. You're so loved, and you're so cared for. You're worthy. You're worth it. Thank you for listening, and I hope that you'll come back next week. And as always, guys, keep on. (laughs)